Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr. Each week we interview Olympic champions, world champions, world number ones and former world record holders to find out what they do to become the very best in their field. This week's guest is Mahe Drysdale. He is an Olympic rowing champion two times in fact, 2012 and 2016. Yes, only a month or so ago in Rio de Janeiro rowing for New Zealand. Mahe is a great guy. You can hear that in this interview. We discuss things such as his greatest rivals. We talk about how close that 2016 final really was. We discuss his training, in particular what he did differently when he was diagnosed with osteoarthritis in his back. We talk about the other injuries he sustained throughout his career. He's a really nice guy. I hope you enjoy this chat. It'll be with you in just a moment. Before we go to Mahe, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. It's brought to you by Sportachino. Sportachino is a brand new sports breakfast show. You can see it live every 8am British Standard Time on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Sportuccino. That site again is facebook.com forward slash Sportuccino. Please like the page so you can watch and listen to the show every weekday morning from 8am BST. All different types of sports, health and nutrition chat. It's definitely one for you to look out for. That's Sportuccino. That is today's sponsor of the show. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to learning from the very best and learning from Mahe Drysdale. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Mahe Drysdale, the Olympic rowing champion. Welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr. So great to have you on today's show. You were the Olympic champion once again in Rio. But what have you been up to in the last few weeks? Have you just been eating lots of food and just relaxing? What have you been up to? Yeah, good day, Richard, and uh, hello, listeners. Um, yeah, very much so. I've uh, I've done very little, um, certainly in physical activity wise, since uh, the games and. Um, yeah, just having a bit of downtime, uh, spending a lot of time for family, and uh, it's it's been really nice actually being back home here in New Zealand. And um, it's one of those things that that uh, you do so much work, so it's nice to to uh, sit down and and just relax and and do nothing. Um, although <clears throat> the last uh, ten days I've had to 
to uh, start to do some more exercise just to try to keep the weight off a little bit. Um, I am racing in Boston uh, at the end of October, so I've got to be uh, in a little bit of shape by the time that comes around. Well, I know after you won gold in 2012, you started to do a few different things such as coast to coast and you did an Ironman and I think you even competed in the New Zealand's PGA tournament and things like that. Uh, have you got those things planned again? Um, not, not as yet, actually. Um, I'm still making decisions, I guess, on, on my future. So, um, you know, once I've, I've decided on that, then I'll, I'll try to look in, and put some events in. But you know, I'm pretty sure either way I'll, I'll take a little bit of time out um, to be able to do some of those those things, as you said. And uh, I really enjoyed that uh, last time around. And it was a, a really nice sort of freshening up break and just giving you a, a completely different challenge, um, which is, is really great because uh, obviously we're committed to rowing 11 months a year, so six days a week. And that means that, that you're completely focused. So to, to have a focus outside and do something different uh, is, a, is a real change, I guess. And also for me, I'm very goal-orientated. So I like to have something to do uh, that, that uh, gets me out and gets me training. Mm, yeah, a lot of people talk about the goal-setting aspect. We'll, we'll get into more of that a little bit later. But let's kind of go back to the start of how you got interested in rowing, how you got your start in rowing. Now, people like Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, they were swinging a golf club when they were three years old. But your introduction to the sport came quite a bit later, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, well, I, I guess my first ever introduction to, to rowing was uh, when I was 13. And uh, I I got sort of handpicked, I guess, at the school to, to go and join the rowing team because of my size. Uh, but I lasted one session and I uh, thought, man, this sport's not for me. Uh, so it wasn't again until I was 18 that I I actually had an opportunity to, to row again. And, and I guess it was a, a strange circumstance that it was actually um, drinking that, that got me rowing. Um, and why I say that was uh, there was a what we call the, the university tournament here. And that meant that, that you know, it was a lot of fun and, and a lot of social activity. And, and one of the only ways to go was to make a university representative team. Um, I wasn't good enough at anything to do that. So uh, I, I looked to rowing, which was uh, a complete novice. And that's what got me there and had a great time. And, and then I guess just got a little bit of the bug and, and slowly got sucked into it. And before I knew it, I was training six days a week. And, um, you know, suddenly I wasn't able to go drinking anymore because I was uh, too, too uh, focused on rowing. So yeah, it was a it was a late start. Um, I didn't get into the New Zealand team till I was 22, but um, yeah, I'm actually quite glad of that because I'm 37 and I feel like I'm still fresh and, and love love what I do. Mm, yeah, that, that's amazing how it went from drinking to becoming a an Olympic gold medalist and the Olympic champion. So, can you have a beer anytime now, or or do you completely stay off it, or does it in, is it in your diet in any way? Um, it's, it's not planned in my diet for sure. I, I think the odd beer doesn't hurt, but to be honest, uh, you know, in, in the, the big training blocks, you know, there's probably only, uh, four or five times a year that I'd actually, uh, sit and drink a beer. I guess the, the thing to me is it's, it is nice to sit and relax sometimes with friends and stuff. But, uh, if I came in after a hard day, uh, I'd, I'd just as happily drink a juice as I would drink a beer. So, um, it's something I don't don't particularly miss, but you know, in saying that, I, 
probably am quite happy that I I had the life I did at university and you know kind of got that out of my system so I don't sort of feel like I'm missing out too much um, and you know there's a few opportunities obviously that that we uh, do go out and and have a few and um, you know that's that's always enjoyable I think it's important that you do have that little bit of balance in your life that you do things that you enjoy and um, you know it's it's uh, it, but it's certainly not something that that is part of my training. So after you started rowing at university, eventually you made the Olympics in 2004. What was that experience like for you? Your first ever Olympics? Um, well, it was it was amazing, and I, I guess it was everything I, I dreamt it to be. Uh, apart from the result, um, you know, we finished fifth, which was uh, fairly credible, I guess, for the the crew we had. We're very much an up and coming crew, but for me for the work we put in I, I sort of wanted more um, and I guess that was a a pretty good learning experience um, you know I think the Olympics is just you know it is a it's a circus but it's um, if you're on the inside of that being an athlete it's it's absolutely phenomenal and uh, what I what I what I guess I learned was by the time you show up you you fairly well uh, are either in a position to win or, or you're not um, and no matter how well you race or whatever you do, you're not going to make up a massive amount once you get to the Olympics. It's all about that preparation. So, you know, that really set me up because, um, you know, what I took out of that, that whole experience was uh, if, if I make it back to the Olympics in four years' time, I'm going to show up in a position to win. And, um, you know, that, that was really where it all developed for me because, um, you know, then I had to to find a way that that I thought I could, you know, break down those those four years and you know set small goals every day that was going to get me to um, to winning that uh, that Olympic gold medal. Um, unfortunately, I didn't quite do it in Beijing, but um, you know it took a another another four year cycle to London. But um, you know it was uh, that was I guess the the forming of me was that that Athens Olympics, uh, you know that that really showed me what you had to do if if you wanted to be successful. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was after those Athens Olympics that you decided to compete uh, solo. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I, I went from the Coxus Four, which I raced in Athens, to the single. And uh, part of that was, you know, I wanted to find out about myself. And, and you know, the single was nowhere to hide. It's, it's all you. And uh, you will soon know whether you, you think you've got a future. And, um, you know, that was, I, I guess, a... I guess the turning point for me because it could have gone one of two ways. Um, had I failed in the single, maybe I would have given up the sport. Um, but the the way that it happened was, you know, I went out into the single and and was fairly well instantly successful with uh, two silver medals at the World Cups that year, and then uh, winning winning the world title. Um, you know, which which was my first first ever medals um, at international rowing, and you know, obviously. Uh, first world championships, um, you know, in the single and, and won a gold medal. And I, I guess that was, uh, you know, a, a really awesome year um, for, for us as a, a Kiwi team as well because we sent five crews to the world champs and four of them won uh, gold medals. So, you know, that was, a, I guess, a, a moment that um, has, has shaped us and, uh, you know, something that I was uh, very, very privileged to be a part of. Now, you, you mentioned winning the world title in 2005, but your build-up for those championships wasn't plain sailing, was it? 
Um, no, it wasn't. I, I got hit by a water skier uh, in our training and, and uh, got a couple of uh, fractured um, vertebrae in my back, uh, as well as um, you know fairly severe bruised kidneys. So that was um, that was in April um, of of that year, and, and the World Champs are in August. So you know it was uh, I guess not ideal, but um, it was also you know I think it's important that anything like that gets thrown at you, you take the the learnings out of it and I, I guess what I got out of that was how important rowing was to me and how much I wanted to succeed and you know to be to be completely honest um it was so hard the training that year that I was actually quite pleased to have a break um oh, wow. you know obviously not in those circumstances <laughs> yeah. but um, I was out of the boat for 10 days and um you know back to tr- full training after three weeks and still had a lot of pain in my back but you know, it was, um, again, one of those things that you just reassess and, and you know, I realized how much I wanted it and, and how much I was prepared to do to, to get it. And you keep overcoming obstacles, you know, in, in 2008, you mentioned your disappointment, but there, there were some unfortunate circumstances, weren't there? Because you were pretty ill for a lot of those games, right? Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I guess, not something I've, I've, uh, wanted in my career was uh, to make everything as exciting or interesting um would have been just nice to have a boring life and just just win gold medals but um i think it's it's made me who i am and yeah you're, you're completely right at, at the uh beijing olympics well firstly at our trials you know uh, in 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 march uh, before that that games i had to overcome uh the 2000 olympic champion and rob waddell to to even get to the games and once I got there I, I got a virus and um, you know that really affected me during the week uh, I I lost a lot of weight I lost five kilos um, and you know it was it was a tough week uh, to get through but um, you know it's it's one of those things sport where there is no excuse you've you've just got to show up and and do your best and uh, you know I, was, I, I guess it was a, a little bit bittersweet um, because you know, winning a goal, uh, a gold medal in, in those circumstances, you know, would have been unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, and that was obviously my goal, but I came away for bronze. And uh, so I'd felt like I'd failed in the fact I hadn't won that gold. But uh, on the other hand, I was, I was very proud, um, you know, with, with the effort that I'd, I'd uh, you know, performed with in, in those circumstances. Um, you know, it was, it was tough. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess another another learning for me that that uh you you have to prepare that that you're ready for anything and you know even if if something like that gets thrown at you and uh you've got to be good enough that you can overcome it and still win and you know again we'll uh, you probably talk about london shortly but um you know that was probably what what set me up because i again i didn't have a great run into london and um yeah i think i think beijing um you know as i say i was i was very proud but uh in in those months following i found it really really hard because i had to i had to assess i had to look back i had to you know really be honest with myself and and when i looked myself in the mirror i realized that there was things that i could have done better uh and you know i wasn't as good as i could be and uh had i been you know it was a, a one second and and maybe i still would have won and you know that was that was the hardest thing I think. Um, you know, learning learning that uh, that that you know the I, I possibly could have won the gold medal had had I uh, approached things a wee bit differently. And 
um, you know, that was that was really really hard to to I guess take. Um, but again, it, it certainly set me up for for my career ahead. Mm. There would have been one really positive moment from that time in Beijing because I believe you were the flag bearer at those games. Just explain the the feeling you had and the honour you had of, of holding your country's flag at that opening ceremony. Yeah, that was uh, an experience that I, I certainly you know had a lot of pride in, and, and to be honest, it, it probably helped me later on in the week. But um, you know, to, to be selected to to lead your country and and you know your achievements, I guess, are, are to a point where uh, you know they believe that that you're a worthy recipient of that. You know, that was incredibly special and and something that I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, you know, leading out your your country, carrying the flag, and into a stadium of uh, you know eighty odd thousand people was um, is is pretty special. And uh, you know, as I say, I think just that thinking about that, and um, you know, how much that gave me, how much strength that gave me, that you know, I had to lead from the front, and there was no excuses. Um, you know, it, it certainly probably helped me perform. Uh, better that week, um, you know, even given the, the circumstances. And, you know, I, I lost five kilos of, of weight, which uh, is a, a huge amount. Um, you know, it's 5% of my body weight. Um, and, you know, th- that that ultimately was was what cost me was, was the dehydration. And, um, you know, again, there was things I, I didn't do the morning of, you know, having an intravenous drip the morning of a race, which, you know, could have made the difference. But, you know, those are those are all learnings, and um, you know, certainly something. I guess you know, with Rio, just that's been, and the likelihood of sickness there. It was, um, you know, it was great to have had that experience. We were certainly ready in our team that that had anything gone wrong, um, we had the protocols in place to deal with those things. Mm, let, uh, you've mentioned something there, so I'm going to quickly come back on that. Uh, what in particular were you fearful of in Rio, and what kind of precautions did you take? Um, yeah, so so obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of media reports, I guess, going into Rio, which, you know, the water was dirty, there was a, a lot of risk of uh, illness, there's obviously, you know, talk of the Zika virus and dengue fever and all those sort of things. Um, so, you know, we were very, very prepared going in that, that we were prepared to deal with everything. Um, you know, little precautions like uh, all our drink bottles were in Ziploc plastic bags, uh, we would drink and, you know, not uh, to, to make sure that, that we didn't get any of the water on on those bags. Uh, very careful with our, you know, sanitizer and hand hygiene. Um, you know, after the rows, we'd be um, rinsing our mouth with uh, Listerine uh, mouthwash to, to kill any bugs, um, you know, and, and showering and, you know, making sure all our gear was washed and all that sort of thing. So, you know, we took a lot of precaution. Um and that was just to make sure that, that we didn't get any uh, diseases or, or viruses uh, picked up from the water because the water isn't isn't particularly clean. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to say that our, our processes worked well because none of the team got ill. Uh, and, you know, in, in even I, I don't think, to be honest, around the regatta um, that too many people were, were sick, which was a, a real positive and yeah, you know, I think overall, um, you know, Rio did a really, really good job in, in making sure everything uh, worked pretty well. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. We'll have more from Mahe in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's show is also brought to you today by Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from, and that's whether you've got an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or an MP3 player, you can listen to audiobooks thanks to Audible. It's a product I personally use. I highly recommend you download it. I listen to audiobooks nearly every day on the train, on the way to the gym, in the gym, in fact. All different ways you can listen to audiobooks. It's really good. And the people at Audible, because you're a listener of The Best in the World with Richard Parr, they are offering you a free 30-day trial with one free download to test out their product. All you need to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best. I'd love you to try them out because as they're the sponsor of the show, by you helping yourself by trialing this product, you're also helping me and the best in the world with Richard Parr. So I'd appreciate it if you did that. All right, let's get back to the chat with Mahe Drysdale because he is the best in the world. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. I want to talk about the the time between 2008 2012 and of course you had the crash just before 2004 but you continue to have back troubles and then were diagnosed with osteoarthritis now for those who don't know could you perhaps explain what that is and then I also read that once you were diagnosed with that you started to change your training so maybe you could maybe you could just explain what exactly you did differently yeah, so um, yeah, I'll, I'll start back. So obviously, as I said, after two thousand and eight, I I learned a lot of lessons from that, and you know, going into that next four years was about being so good in London that no matter what happened, I could overcome it and uh, still win. 
So I went in, I was quite excited going into 2009 um, because, you know, I, I knew that I could be better. Um, and I guess, you know, probably the, the, the key thing that came out of that review is I was aiming at being the best in the world. Um, and what I changed the focus to was being the best I could be. And, you know, that might sound like a small distinction, but um, that was that was huge because I realized there was things that I wasn't doing because I was winning um, that I could do better. And, and you know, that paid dividends straight away with 2009, um, you know, setting the world best time by another two seconds, which I'd already held in 2006 and um, going that year unbeaten. So I was, I was really excited, I guess, thinking things were really well on track. Um, and then at our trials in 2010, I hurt my back. Uh, and that was a, an ongoing year-long um, problem. Every time it got better, I'd start training, it would blow up again, and we just didn't know what was wrong. And finally, I had a um, I had another scan uh, sort of a year after I hurt my back. This is early 2011, and uh, osteoarthritis was was diagnosed. Now, osteoarthritis is is effectively, um, you know, if, if you think of uh, you know inflammation. Um, what had happened is is I'd had a disc injury, which meant that that my my vertebrae were slightly closer together. Uh, and in the rowing action, as I went into extension at the back of a stroke, uh, the the vertebrae um, were were rubbing on each other. And when bones rub on bones, um, they're obviously not supposed to do that. Uh, they create an inflammatory response. Um, and that's effectively what what osteoarthritis is. It's it's two bones that that uh, you know start an inflammatory response. Um, they get bigger, they get niggly, they get sore, and you know that was that was effectively the the diagnosis. Now, you might think that that's uh, not a great thing to have, but I was actually really excited when I knew what it was because once and you know what something is, you can deal with it. And you know that's where my training ch- changed a lot. Uh, because what I found is is I couldn't do more than one row a day because I needed to give my back that time to recover between sessions. Um, and if I kept pushing it, I just had to keep sitting out of the boat and waiting for it to, to calm down because there's very little you can do to an inflamed joint like that um, apart from sit and wait for it to, to calm down. So what I did is I replaced my afternoon session um, from from doing two rows a day to doing one row a day and one cycle a day. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, uh, it was, I guess, a big risk at the time uh, because I didn't know that worked. Uh, I knew that two rows a day worked very well. Um, but, you know, 2011, I got some, um, you know, pretty good uh, res- response. And in, in the fact, I won the world title again. I, I sort of felt like I was back to where I needed to be. Um, and that put me on a good trajectory for London. And going into London again, I was feeling really confident. Uh, six weeks out, I was... Um, I beat Andre Sinek, who uh, you know was was my biggest competitor over that whole period. Probably throughout my whole career, he's been he's been the man to beat, and I beat him by five seconds. And so things were looking really good going into London, uh, but you know the biking I guess led to other issues. And I'd had a crash the day before uh, the World Champs in 2011, uh, just hurting my groin, and uh, I I got hit by a car um, in Germany six weeks out from the London Olympics, and. Uh, at the time, I didn't think I was too bad. I got up. I was all good. Um, got back to the hotel. I couldn't even couldn't even get my cycling top off. I, I couldn't move my my right arm. And um, you know, I went to the the hospital, and I, I had an AC joint injury, um, which was incredibly painful. And 
uh, that kept me out of the boat for for the next three weeks. So you know, six weeks out from the Olympics, you don't row for three weeks. It's it's certainly not the ideal build up. Um, but you know, again, uh, you know, I, I had to have a cortisone injection in that case, um, just to to take away enough pain that I could actually row. Uh, and you know, again, I, I guess I was confident in the fact that I knew I'd done everything I could and. Um, you know, hopefully I was going to be able to overcome it, and, and that's exactly which I, what I did, which uh, you know was was incredibly satisfying. Did doctors ever tell you not to compete when you were diagnosed with osteoarthritis, or when you had that crash? Did they tell you that you couldn't make the Olympic Games? Did you always go by their orders? Um, no, no, you you have to sort of you know go by. I, I saw a I saw a specialist, um, you know, with my osteoarthritis, and he was. He was really good. He he said, "Look, um, you know, you can try, and if if you can't do it, you can't do it. You know, that's that's basically it. But um, you know, you you might need to. He he was the one, but basically suggested you might need to change the way you do things. And if you change the way you do things, you you might be able to find a way that you can manage it. And you know, that's effectively what what it's about now. Is it's about managing my back and um, finding solutions to that. So. You know, I don't think anyone's ever said, "Look, your career's ended." Um, but you know, even with that AC joint injury, I remember being in the hospital. They said, "You know, the injury you've got—it's an, an eight-week healing process." I kind of said, "Look, I got six weeks till the Olympics." Um, and by the time I walked out of there, the doctor had agreed that it was going to be ten days. And uh, you know, I think I think you've got to—you've always got to um, you know push those boundaries and. It's amazing. Um, I guess what I've learned is if you have a positive attitude, uh, injuries seem to uh, seem to heal themselves a lot faster than uh, you know if you do get down. And it's it's certainly not easy. Um, you know, I, I know that year uh, when I had that those back problems. You know, I I was uh, on the verge of if not depressed at at some of those moments. Um, you know, because it's it's incredibly hard when when you can't do what you want to do um, to you know to to you know compete and get out there and train and and you know that you're unable to do that. So you know it's it's it hasn't always been easy, um, but you know it's it's again you you've got to try to be as positive as you can and um, you know you just don't take uh, just don't take no for an answer. You always try to. Try everything before you uh, before you give up. And uh, if if you've tried everything and you've exhausted your options, well, you know maybe maybe that is a, a time to stop. But uh, thankfully, uh, I haven't got to that point yet. And it paid off in 2012, didn't it? When you won the gold medal, just describe that experience and that moment and that day for us, please. Yeah, well, well, the day wasn't great. Um, you know, I woke up and I just uh, I, I'm not someone that suffers from nerves a lot, but I was uh, incredibly nervous. Um, you know, this meant so much to me uh, because I knew I knew what a gold medal would do for my career. Um, effectively, in my mind, my career would be a failure without an Olympic gold medal. That's that's the pinnacle of our sport. So, you know, I knew how important that was. You know, it's a, a real pressure situation. You've got a seven-minute race. Um, you know, effectively to define your career, uh, and. So I was, uh, you know, I was struggling to eat. I threw up, um, and you know, I didn't actually have a great warm up to be honest, because I was just so nervous and, um, you know, just just trying to to get to the start line. But as soon as that buzzer went, um, that was the the best moment of my day. Uh, just 
you know, that's the part that you can control. That's the part you've been building up for for years and years and years. And, um, you know, that's the moment that that uh, you've got to go and take the, the bull by the horns, as they say. And um, that's that's your moment. And so, you know, I, I enjoyed that race. Um, it was a tough one. Andre, uh, you know, he, he wasn't going to let me have it easily. And, you know, we, we battled it out and, and sort of that second thousand started to push away from the field. And there was a moment there that that I took a risk, and that was probably about fifteen hundred. And you know, I I knew that I didn't have a big enough margin to be comfortable, and that I had to take more. But if I was going to take more there, I was going to burn myself to pieces, and and wouldn't have enough to finish the race. But you know, it was a, a I guess a, a calculated risk, and that's uh, that's where I sort of made my move and got away to about a length's lead and. Going into the last 250, I thought, yeah, I think I've got enough. And then I saw Andre sort of bringing up a bit of a sprint, and I was like, oh no, I'm I'm done. And uh, but you know, I just just held on for dear life. And after about eight strokes, I saw him uh, his shoulders sort of just uh, droop, and that was the moment that I uh, I knew I'd won that race. But I still had 20 strokes to the line, and I think I thought of 20 different ways I could have made mistakes and and uh, screwed it up. So. Yeah, it was um, it was certainly exciting, um, and you know, the, probably the 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 feeling I had when I first crossed that line was just relief, um, relief it was over, relief that I'd done it, uh, and you know that was probably it was only a couple of seconds, but then the the sort of elation and um, you know the the happiness kicked in, and uh, you know people say it takes a long time for sink in, well not at all in that case, it just it was uh, it sunk in immediately, and and you know I, I knew exactly what I'd done and how great that that feeling was, and um, you know it was a, a pretty special day, and and probably the next ten months uh, was was something that I'll remember very very fondly because I travelled the world, I um, you know I was invited to all sorts of different places, uh, you know including a very memorable trip down to Sri Lanka and. Um, yeah, I just just really, I guess, enjoyed the the fruits of all the hard work, and you know, as you said before, did did some uh, some interesting challenges like the coast to coast Ironman, uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, played in the New Zealand PGA Championship. You know, all these things that that um, you know that that I absolutely loved doing, and and was completely different to rowing and a completely different challenge. Mm. And you spent a few years living in London. Did that make a difference of when you won the gold in London as well? Oh, for sure. I, I actually spent uh, my first seven years, um, or between when I was four and eleven, living in in the UK. Um, and yeah, and then I'd spent uh, in two thousand and five, six, and seven, spent uh, you know a few months over in, in the UK training. So yeah, it was a it was like a second home, and I, I think it was um, pretty special for me to to be there, had a lot of friends, had a lot of family uh, there. And, um, you know, that, that did make it extra special because it was probably as close as I'll ever get to, uh, to winning a, a medal at a, at a home Olympics. I don't think we'll ever get one down here. And, um, you know, that was, that was certainly a, a very special moment. And you mentioned, Andre, how important was it that you had someone to push you so much in your career? Oh, you know, he he is fantastic, and um, you know, <laughs> it's it's a little bit bittersweet, I guess. Um, you know, in in the fact that that had he not been there, yeah, you know, I, I would have 
had more world titles and um, you know, I would have had a lot more easy wins uh, throughout my career. But you know, that that's part of the thing that that makes it satisfying that rivalry and and how far we've pushed each other. Um, you know, in the links and you know, interestingly, generally, um, you know, when it comes down to a race between me and Andre, it's it is um, you know, it's it's clear water to the rest of the field and. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's that's just how much we we push each other. So yeah, you know, I feel incredibly uh, fortunate to have such a great rival. Um, you know, I guess it, it doesn't do wonders for your career stats, but um, you know that's that's uh, what makes it also more satisfying because I think if you were you're winning easily all the time and and you you sort of went out every day knowing that you were going to win, it would it would take some of the uh, the fun and and some of the challenge out of of what we do. So four years later, you retained the title at Rio about two months ago. Did you have any pressure going in because you were the defending champion? Did you feel any pressure? Um, interestingly, not. And um, yeah, it was, it was probably strange because in London, that was probably the time that I thought most about Beijing. And you know, that whole week, I'd thought, why didn't I win in Beijing? I could have just taken the pressure off. And and so it was interesting getting to Rio, uh, and that's exactly how I felt. I just felt I was having fun, I was enjoying it, um, just lapping up the atmosphere. I was like I was at another Olympic Games. Uh, I, I felt like it was a bit of a bonus, to be honest. Um, I'd already achieved what I'd wanted to in my career, and um, you know this this could be, I guess, the icing on the cake. And um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed the the week. I didn't have any nerves. I was feeling good. Um, and you know that was that was a, a really nice feeling because uh, I hadn't enjoyed London that much until I'd won. Um, but Rio, I enjoyed the the whole journey. Um, I really, I actually started to like training, uh, which is uh, not like me at all. It was always a chore, I guess, earlier in my career. I think just feeling how lucky I was to to be doing something I love. And um, you know, that's not to say the morning of the final, uh, I didn't feel as bad as London for sure. Um, but there were certainly nerves there, and and you know you you certainly know what's on on uh, what's at stake. I guess is is this this is the big race, and and this is what you've been preparing for. Um, you know, I, I hadn't won uh, any world titles in that in that period. I've been pipped by Andre, you know, by 0.7 of a second in 2.14, of a second in 2.15. So. You know, I, there was a little bit of pressure that that I felt like I needed that race to to um you know to make those four years really worthwhile. But um you know it was it was uh, you know a really enjoyable experience and you know that race was was awesome. Um you know having Demir uh, Martin sort of join the the party I guess with me and Andre. Um you know going toe to toe in a in a big occasion like that is is um you know that's what you live for. That's what you train for and. It was it was awesome. Um, obviously, uh, would have liked it to be a little bit more comfortable. Um, had a it was a five one hundredths of a second at the end. Uh, that's about a centimeter and a half. Uh, and yeah, you know, it was a, a very very nerve wracking wait as we waited for the photo finish, which took probably uh, two minutes um, until they they came out with a result. Mm, in fact, uh, that's one of the questions we've got on Twitter. Brenton Speed was asking: Was winning golds in a photo um, fair on Demir Martin, given at the other end of the course, you can have a few centimetres difference. Is there anything they can do to change those rules, or do you just think it was fair and you were the winner? 
Um, yeah, you know, I, I certainly feel for Demir because, you know, I, I guess I've, I've thought about it from, from my perspective. Look, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. And, and to be honest, I, I don't know enough to be able to, to comment um, properly. If, if, they've, if the margin of error, um, you know, in, in a rowing course over 2K is, is less than, you know, one and a half centimetres, uh, then, then yes, I, I think it's fair that they separate it. Um, but, you know, they've got to look at the margin of error and, you know, is the, is the start line, you know, completely uh, level with the finish line? Is, it, is all the boats completely lined up? Um, you know, if, if they are, well, yeah, okay, maybe it's fair to, to um, you know, to, to separate it. Um, obviously, in the photo, you can clearly see that there there is a difference. Um, but you know, I, I guess we're talking margins of error, and and where is that? And um, you know, that's that's the hard thing. I, I know in swimming, you know, they they say that there's a margin of error of possibly up to three centimeters um, in the pool length um, because that's what happens with concrete. You can't get it completely right. So they decide that they'll only go to to a hundredth of a second to separate people and. Um, you know, we saw that in, was it the 100 or 200 uh, metre butterfly where you, you got three silver medalists um, because of it. So, you know, I think it's something wrong. Certainly have to look at what's our margin of error and, and therefore how far can we separate it. I've, I've never seen it. Well, there hasn't been an Olympic race ever separated by, um, you know, a, th- a thousandth of a second. The previous was a one one hundredth. Um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly very very tough on Demir, and and I certainly feel for him. But um, yeah, I as I say I don't really know enough to say whether whether the course is accurate enough to separate that or not. Mm. So was Rio your last Olympics? Will we see you in twenty twenty? I read something on the uh, internet yesterday that there's talk about you potentially switching to a men's eight with Hamish Bond and Eric. Murray, is are they just lies? Are they just rumours, or is there any truth to any of that? Um, yeah, you know, at the moment, um, I'm going through the process, I guess, of of trying to make decisions. And you know, the the biggest thing for me is is can my body take another um, four years? I'm 37 now, so you know, is is um, getting towards the the end of my career. Um, you know, there's 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 certainly the eight stuff is is rumour. Um, but you know, I'd be lying to to say that you know it wasn't an exciting prospect because um, you know the eights is is a, a very very special boat and has a very special history in New Zealand because uh, you know it was it was I guess what got rowing on the map winning in in '72. Um, so you know it's, it's certainly something that that I'd consider. Um, you know we we haven't been in a position where we've had eight guys good enough that we could say yes we we can legitimately now put together a crew that could win an eight and this would Tokyo would be the first time I think we've ever been in that position so you know that is exciting it's certainly something we'll consider um, for me personally as we've talked about my back issues trying to manage all those um, trying to manage my body through another four years it's it's probably unrealistic um, that that I could be a part of that um, just because uh, the the sacrifices in training are probably too great to um, to make that eight go well. So you know, the, but it's certainly something that that I will look at um, and and we'll you know we'll make decisions. But I think the biggest decision is is whether I go forward or not, and that's um that's obviously the first one I've got to make. 
Well, Mahe, I know I've already taken up so much of your time already and we, we've gone over our allotted 30 minutes, but I really appreciate your time today. We've learned so much from you. Just before we go, perhaps you could tell our listeners how they can continue to follow what you're up to on social media and your website and, yeah, how they can keep learning and learning more about you. Yeah, well, um, I've got a website, uh, Um You can also find me on Twitter um, and uh, Facebook if you if you just search for, for Mahe Drysdale. And I'm on Instagram, which is mahe.drysdale. So, um, yeah, love to, to have some followers. And uh, if you've got any more questions anyone wants to know, uh, you're welcome to, uh, to ask me through one of those mediums. Thank you. I'm sure they will. Mahe Drysdale, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being the best in the world. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Thanks again to Mahe Drysdale for being on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. If you enjoyed that, if you're a rowing fan and you want to know more great information from Olympic champions, we've got Heather Stanning on a future Best in the World with Richard Parr. I've already done the interview. I just need to edit it and put it together for your listening pleasure. It will be coming on the Best in the World on iTunes, on Stitcher very, very soon. I'll keep you updated on my Twitter at Richard underscore par. That's a really great interview as well. It's not only if you like rowing, but if you like learning from the very best, that's what we do with Heather Stanning on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. It was great to have her on the show. It's a great one you're going to enjoy listening to. And don't forget, we've got all kinds of superstar athletes on the show before. All of the episodes are on iTunes. They're on Stitcher. They're on the Facebook page, Best in the World with Richard Parr, and they're also on my own personal website, richardparr.net. Go back and listen to the archives. You can really learn from some of the greatest sports stars on the planet. And if you like the show or you've got any feedback for it, send me a message on Twitter at Richard underscore Parr, but also go on iTunes and give me a rating and review. The rating and review section on iTunes is very, very important to help boost the profile of this show so i'd really appreciate it if you could do that thanks again to our sponsors today they were audible and sportachino sportachino is on facebook.com forward slash sportachino live every weekday morning from 8 a.m all right that's enough for me we'll be back again next week learning from a former olympic champion world champion world number one or world record holder because they are the very best at what they do they are the best in the world. The best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.